Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of Golden Age characters through the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you once again for joining us. Now, we're back with a flash. Back with a flash. <laughs> back with two flashes. The flash of two issues. <laughs> Very good. I like that. <laughs> You've put me off now. <laughs> We're trying something very different today. Basically because because DC Comics themselves did something very different. Absolutely, yes. Way back in, in 1966. We're, we're looking at Flash issue 159 today. And we will also talk briefly about Flash 160. And then we will also be talking about a story from Flash issue 161. So... Flash issue 159. It's the first time we've had the Flash since we did 151, featuring The Shade, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. So, Flash 159, published on January the 20th, 1966, with a cover date of March 1966. Clickety-click and all that. Pixie, tell us about the cover. Well, I'll start off by saying The Flash is renowned for having amazing covers. Basically, every single yes. one of these is a joy to look at. But this is incredibly iconic. In the middle of it, we have a giant tree with a sign that's been nailed to it, and it's the sign says, I'm through, knocking myself out as the Flash. I quit. Goodbye and good riddance. Signed, the X-Flash. And hanging up on the tree beside it is the Flash's costume, and lying underneath at the foot of the tree are the Flash's boots. And off to the right, we see Barry Allen doffing a hat, carrying a suitcase, walking past a sign saying you're now leaving Central City as the sun sets behind him. It's very emotive, isn't it? It's striking. Very striking, yes. It's, in a weird way, this cover reminds me of the cover of issue 50 of Amazing Spider-Man, you know, that famous Spider-Man No More. But when, when was issue 50 of Spider-Man published? That was the 11th of April, 1967. So that's oh, right. the okay. year after this. Oh. So, so yes, precedes it by a year and a bit. I'm very impressed that you had that specific information about Amazing Spider-Man number 50 just to hand there when I What can I <laughs> say? I it's, it. it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, basically, going, going by this cover, Barry has quit. There's also a caption box as well, which says, No one even dreamed it would happen, but it really did. The Flash's final fling. So there we go. It's a lovely cover. I look forward to sharing it with you all on the socials. So shall we shall we get started? Absolutely, yes. The splash page is that traditional, almost iconic Carmine sort of distant futuristic cityscape with some figures up to no good in the foreground. So we have a character on the left who we will learn is called Frand Matter. And he's operating a device. The Flash Barry Allen is running in from stage right. There's some guys on a floating little platform that look as if they're shooting a bubble gum or bubble bath gun at Kid Flash, who's floating up in the cloud, and Kid Flash is saying Flash! Help! And the aforementioned Frand Matter is saying, Stop where you are, Flash. Make a move to interfere with me and my gang, and I'll blow up your hometown of Central City. And the Flash is saying, Go ahead. If that's the price they have to pay for capturing you, it'll be worth it. What an exciting splash panel. Now, as you'd, as you'd hope, there's also a big introductory text box which says, Disillusioned and bitter at the lack of public appreciation for his efforts, Barry Flash Allen makes a supreme decision of his life. To quit as a superhero, to become the X-Flash. But 
He reckons without his protege, Kid Flash, who refuses to allow his mentor to go into limbo without a last-ditch effort to bar his way. The Flash's final fling! So, first caption at the top of page two says, A gloved fist wraps sharply under a brass nameplate set in a wooden door. And it's a red glove, and with a knock-knock, it's chapping on a door that says, Charles McNider, M.D. The caption for the next panel. A nurse swings open the door, gapes at the visitors, and... The nurse says, Oh, who are... I mean, it's after visiting hours. I doubt whether the doctor will see you. And the nurse has opened the door, and standing in the open door is Kid Flash and police scientist Barry Allen. Now, we haven't had Kid Flash in the podcast yet, have we? No, I don't believe so. Wow, it's the first appearance of Wally West in the Earth 2 podcast. Well, there you go. Who's your favourite Flash, Peter? Pre-crisis Barry. Really? Yes. My favourite Flash is Wally West. I think Wally's better at being the Flash, but Barry Pre-crisis is my favourite. See, there you go. we can't really go into too much detail about the ultimate fates of Barry and Wally at this point, obviously, but it's interesting that Wally's finally here. Yeah. We're going to see a bit more of him fairly soon after this one, and he will pop up all the way throughout the, the rest of the podcast. And Kid Flash says, as the nurse opens the door, Please tell Dr. McNider it's Barry Allen and Kid Flash to see him, and that we need his help desperately. And Barry says, <laughs> This is all a waste of time. The caption for the next panel. The nurse is scarcely in the doctor's office, then... And we see a voice coming out from the doctor's office, which is marked private, and the voice is saying, Barry Allen, Kid Flash, well, don't let them stand there, send them in. And Kid Flash says to Barry, Let's go, Barry. I know this won't be pleasant for you, but it has to be done. And then the caption for the next panel says, As they enter the office of the blind Dr. McNider of Earth 2, who in his secret identity is Dr. Midnight, member of the Justice Society of America. And we see Dr. McNider. He's blonde. He's wearing very neat and small black sunglasses. He's carrying a white cane. He's wearing a blue suit and a striped shirt. And he says, Good to see you again, Barry, but how come you're not here as the Flash? And Barry says, Why should I be? I'm the ex-Flash. Now that's the X-Flash as an EX Flash, the former Flash. It doesn't mean that he's signed up to Professor Xavier's school for gifted youngsters or anything or <laughs> being now being drawn by Rob Leafield. So this is probably, before we go any further, this is probably the best point to give you a little bit of information on Dr. Midnight. He has popped up a couple of times previously yeah. in a couple of the JLA and JSA team-up stories. This is his first, if you like, sort of solo appearance. Right. Dr. Midnight first appeared in All-American Comics issue 25, which was published in February 1941, and he ran all the way through to issue 102 of All-American Comics, which was published in October 1948. That was before, obviously, it became All-American Western. He joined the Justice Society in issue 8 of All-Star Comics, which was also, as we all know, the comic that the first ever appearance of Wonder Woman. And that was the same issue that Starman joined, and that was published in October 1941. And Dr. Midnight was there all the way up until the end of the Justice Society and All-Star Comics in issue 57, which was published in December 1950. He's going to pop up quite regularly in the next yeah. few team-ups. We don't see too much of him during the 70s, but we see a bit more of him when we get to All-Star Squadron. But it's nice to have him here, and a bit of info mm -hmm. for him at last. So as we move on to panel 5, Dr. Midnight reacts to Barry's declaration of being the ex-Flash by saying, What? And Kid Flash replies, that's the whole trouble, Doctor. Barry insists he's fed up being the Flash. He's given up his superhero role, and I can't understand why. It all began this morning. I've been staying with him overnight in my other identity of Wally West. And we're moving into a flashback now, because the, the border of the next panel is starting to ripple. We have an inset of close-up of Kid Flash's face as Wally starts to remember what has already happened. And Wally is saying, I was awakened by the sound of Barry getting dressed in his own room. 
and when I followed him downstairs, and we see Wally, now in his dressing gown, coming through a doorway to find Barry painting the sign that ends up painted to the tree on the cover. And Wally says, Barry, what's that you're writing? My resignation as the Flash. What? At this stage of your career, when your fame is at its height, when people all over the world depend on you? Barry's putting his hat on, and he says, Bah, don't soft soap me. Even a superhero likes appreciation. Barry's putting his jacket on in the next panel. I never thought I'd see the day that when I turn crooks over to the police, they'd make cracks about why it took me so long to do the job. I practically wear myself out helping people prevent them from being robbed or injured. And what's the payoff? A front page headline? Not anymore. Not even a one inch filler on the last page. I tell you, I'm up to here with it. Barry gestures with his hand up to his chin. He's obviously really angry. Wally has sat down the next panel. We can see that Barry is now also holding a suitcase. And Wally says, But that's not true. Central City is proud of you. The police know they can turn to you when things get too hot for them. The newspapers still play up your cases. Front page headlines. Barry says, Your police are falling in deaf ears, Wally. Barry is now at the doorway and he says, To the world I'm just regarded as a freak with a flair for speed. Well, I'm through playing the big hero for a small time audience. The Flash has had his final fling. And Wally's thinking, How can such a sudden change come over him? I've got to do something to snap him out of it. The caption for the next panel, Wally continues to explain to Dr. McNider. I figured if he saw me as Kid Flash, he'd come to his senses, so I made a lightning fast change. But, and Barry says, marching away with his suitcase and his cap, Wally is now in his Kid Flash uniform. Beat it, kid. You remind me of the Flash in that costume. Over the page to page four, we're now outside. Barry is getting into his car, and he says, I'm clearing out of Central City. Go someplace else and start life all over as a research scientist. Turn my real talents into plenty of cash. Kid Flash running out to the car says, what about Iris West? You're engaged to marry her. The car is now driving off while he's climbed in the passenger seat. And Barry says, Not anymore. How long do you expect me to take her continual nagging about me always being late? Tell her to find an early bird instead of a sitting duck. Man, you really flipped your lid. You're turning your back on everyone who cares for you, and whether you know it or not, on everything you've dedicated your life to. While he continues his narration in the next panel. We argued all the way to the outskirts of town where Barry produced his costume ring and caused his Flash uniform to appear and expand. This panel shows Kid Flash sitting in a rock as Barry is firing his costume out of his ring. And Barry is saying, Now for the final touch, get rid of this long underwear. And Wally's thinking, I wish I knew what brought all this on. I'd be able to do something about it. And then the next panel shows basically the cover image, but we don't see Barry walking off with his, with his hat and his suitcase. We see Wally as Kid Flash standing reading the sign as the sun sets. Wally's caption says, He hung up his uniform on a tree, attached a note to it, and then stalked off towards his car. I was mighty desperate, I can tell you. And then in a close-up, we see Kid Flash thinking, I ought to take him to a doctor, but I don't dare for fear of revealing his double identity. Besides... Some criminal mastermind may be behind this, and I don't want him to learn how well he's on the verge of succeeding. Wally's narration continues. Then the solution came to me. I leaped forward and began to vibrate in the unique manner Flash himself vibrates when he goes into Earth 2. And this panel shows that Wally has grabbed Barry. Barry's hat falls off, actually. We should point out his car's in the background of this panel still. So Barry's obviously just walked away from the tree. And Kid Flash is thinking as he starts to vibrate. He's told me all about his adventures on Earth 2. I'll take him there to visit Dr. McNider, Dr. Midnight. He'll know what to do. And Barry says, Hey, what are you doing? Stop it. And then at the top of page five, the caption says, As Kid Flash concludes his narrative, That's it, Doctor. Somebody brainwashed him. But who? 
And why? Barry says. There's no villainy behind this. I'm acting on my own. And Dr. McNider says. Let's settle this one way or the other. By medical science. Shortly, deep in an arcosynthetic state, Barry is forced to answer questions Dr. McNider throws at him. And that's an interesting panel. Barry's obviously reclining on a couch of some kind and Dr. McNider is leaning down over him. And a sort of co-eccentric circles playing over the top suggesting the sort of the hypnotic effect and, and Dr. McNider is saying Barry Allen what happened last night after you fell asleep and Barry replies I woke up around midnight to find myself staring at a strange nimbus of light in my room and then the next couple of panels have the similar sort of rippled border effect because they're in flashback and Barry narrates them so his narration for the first panel out of the blinding brilliance an oddly garbed man stepped toward me this panel shows Barry sitting up in bed and sure enough there's a sort of flash in the middle of the floor. Not a flash as in the flash that speeds through a sort of flash of light. And emerging from this flash of light is a figure wearing a very close-fitting green uniform. It has a sort of white fin on its head and white sort of chevrons coming over the shoulders and going down the back. It's a bit Adam Strangey, as Peter pointed out in our preparation. Yeah. And this guy is saying to Barry, Do not be alarmed, Barry Allen. Flash, I am Colonel Officer Petar Thrant from the year 3780. I'm here to enlist your help. And Barry in his bed says, As the Flash, of course. Then Barry continues to narrate the next panel. The policeman said, In the future world from which I come, a master criminal named Frand Matter stole a vibrational bomb from a military arsenal and sent it back through time, cleverly concealing it somewhere in Central City of the year 1966. This is a great panel showing... Similar to what we had in a couple of Superman stories already, it's the sort of coloured co-eccentric circles with large cartoony numbers saying 3,000, 2,500, 2,000, 1967, obviously showing the process of, of travelling in time. And we can see a piece of machinery that looks a little bit like a sort of ray gun, I suppose. It definitely looks as though it's got a barrel or maybe some handles. We can see that's obviously the suggestion. This bomb that Barry's talking about is travelling back in time. So, Barry's narration for the next panel then. Brand Matter issued a proclamation to all police authorities on Earth in the year 3780. And this panel shows Fran Matter standing at a bit of a lectern speaking into a microphone. We should describe him, he's bald, wearing a sort of purple tunic, and he has a sort of <laughs> a very Thunderbirds style uniform hat. Yeah, imagine Lex Luthor stole Captain Boomerang's hat and dyed it. Yeah, <laughs> he's wearing it at a kind of jaunty angle, sort of tilted on the right hand side of his head. It's very funny. Anyway, he's saying, I'm sending out my gang to rob. If anyone interferes with them, I'll explode the vibrational bomb and completely demolish Central City, 1966. Barry's narration continues in the next panel. The time bomb is activated to go off when its inner shell vibrates at super speed, in response to an electronic impulse. This activation runs down after a while, but Fran Matter can always reset it to keep it in readiness to explode. And we see Fran Matter in this panel gesturing with his finger over a very large, dangerous-looking button. And he's saying, all I need to do is press down on this button and poof, Central City will be a gaping hole on Earth. Which takes us to the top of page six and Barry's narration, reporting what the policeman told him, continues. To our horror, we discovered that the Flash lived in Central City in 1966 and that the vibrations caused by his super speed could unwittingly explode the hidden bomb. And this panel shows Peter Thrant, the policeman, and a few of his colleagues looking at a map, and it must be said, they remind me a little bit of Kanjar Roe, the Justice League baddie, the way that they all sort of look oh, yeah. here in this panel, the way their pointy faces and their the fins mm. in their helmets. And Peter Thrant is saying, One of us must go back into time to make sure the Flash never uses his super speed again. And then back in Barry's apartment, Barry says, But how did you know Barry Allen was the Flash? 
Your double identity is not known at this stage of your career, but later on, it was. Being from the future, I was able to learn all this past history, so it's my duty to prevent you from using your super speed at all. You would of course agree not to use it, but our method is a safeguard to stop you from using it voluntarily or involuntarily. And we get a close-up of Thrant's hand in this panel, and it looks like he's holding a sort of white disc. It looks like one of the Mirror Master's mirrors. <laughs> Certainly very shiny, because we've got radiating waves of light coming off it. He's obviously putting Barry under some kind of influence. And the caption of the next panel says, When Barry is told what his subconscious has revealed. And this is obviously after Barry has come out of the hypnotic state that Dr. Midnight has placed him in. Barry's rubbing his head, and he says to Kid Flash, so, I was mesmerised into believing all that hokum about the Central City Police and newspapers, and about being fed up with my identity as the Flash. What must you think of me? And Kid Flash says, That wasn't you talking, Barry. It was a policeman of the future. And then a close-up Barry Allen says, I'm not taking this lying down. I'm going into the future to capture Fran Matter and remove his bomb threats, so that I can go back to being the Flash. And a helpful caption says, Story continues on fifth page following. The rest of the story page is taken up with an advert for World's Finest. The opposite page is a half-page advertisement for issue 61 of Showcase featuring the Spectre, which we'll be covering very soon. There are some flash facts on the next page, some DC Direct Currents on the next page, an advert for an 80-page giant of action comics featuring Supergirl, and then finally, top of story page 7, a caption says, The Flashy's Final, Final Fling, Fling Part 2. We kick off with Wally and Dr. McNider and Barry, and Kid Flash is saying, Not so fast, Barry. Remember, as a Flash, you use the cosmic treadmill to travel into the past or future, but that's in Central City. And if you use your speed there, you'll blow the place up. Barry replies, Then we'll go another way, but we're going. Caption for the next panel. Next moment, Barry dons his Flash uniform in a burst of blurry speed, even as Dr. McNider throws open the door to a secret closet, and... With the closet door open, we see Dr. Midnight's uniform hanging on a hook, and Dr. McNider says, Hold on, Flash. I'll get into my Dr. Midnight uniform and go with you. In the background of the panel, we see the Flash fitting his mask into place, and Barry Flash says... No thanks, Doctor. We appreciate your kind offer, but this is one case Kid Flash and I intend to handle ourselves. And it must be said, I'm not really sure what Doctor Binley could contribute in this case. Maybe he would hurl a useful blackout bomb at someone. That's maybe it. Yeah. Doctor Midnight will be back soon, though, listeners. Don't worry about that. We will see him before too long, and he'll pop up again in the pages of Flash, actually, not, not too far in the future. So, the next panel shows Kid Flash and the Flash running through the time stream, and again, all the years are floating around them, like 1970, 2069, 1996, that looks like. And we have a caption that says, Racing across Earth 2 at super speed, Flash and Kid Flash vibrate faster and faster, building up compounded vibrations until they slip into the time stream itself. When they slow down, they find themselves back on Earth 1 in the year 3780. This is great. We see it's almost like they're screeching to halt Flash and Kid Flash with one of Carmine's patented futuristic cityscapes in the background. And the Flash is saying, We'll go right to police headquarters. They ought to be able to tell us where to find this brand matter. So we should probably pause very quickly and highlight the fact that Kid Flash mentioned the cosmic treadmill. Now, we haven't seen the cosmic treadmill in the podcast yet, have we, Peter? No, not yet, no. No. We will see it fairly soon in another, another Flash story, which we'll be covering. When did the cosmic treadmill first appear? It was in Flash, issue 125. Right. Flash can travel through time on his own power, uh -huh. but he uses the cosmic treadmill to kind of measure exactly what date or what time he's actually going to. Right. It's a useful way of doing it, and also it means he can stay in the same place as opposed to having to run around the world all the I time. See. 
Okay. Uh, which is quite handy. He also has used it on occasion, not yet, but he will do. He will use it to traverse dimensions and, to, and go to parallel worlds. Yes, as I hinted at a moment ago. So yes, um, stay tuned for the Cosmic Treadmill, folks, because it will turn up before too long. So we are now back on Earth 1 in the year 3780. And a caption says, Soon in police headquarters. And we see Kid Flash and the Flash running into police HQ to see police officer Peter France standing up to greet them. And he says, Flash, we thought we'd fixed it so you couldn't use your super speed. And the Flash says, You did, but Kid Flash unfixed it for me. We're here to capture Frand Matter. Where is he? And the next panel shows Peter Thrant walking the Flash and Kid Flash over to, to giant window looking out over the, the city. And Peter Thrant is saying, You realise the consequences if you fail, Flash. For the first move you make against him will prompt him to trigger off the bomb in Central City. And the Flash says, Just leave that to us. Kid Flash says, We'll find a way to capture Friend Matter and save Central City too. Over the page to page 8. From a high balcony of the police tower, the Scarlet Speedster and the Boy Blazer see their awesome enemy. The Boy Blazer? That's tremendous. I've never heard that before. I like That's that cracking. One, yeah. And this is a great panel. I tried not to. I did laugh actually the first time I saw this. Fran Matter is standing in the pavement with his hands on his hips with his with his hat at a cocky angle and a couple of these bad guy pals using the, the machine that we saw them on in the splash panel actually. They're raising a bank up into the sky. <laughs> Those beams radiating down from it. They're obviously levitating this bank away to steal it. I mean, that steal the whole building. It's a lot less fuss than breaking in, you know. <laughs> and in the background of the panel, we see police headquarters. And Peter Thrant's voice coming from it saying, There he is. He doesn't bother stealing loose money anymore. He takes the entire bank with him and generously returns it later after withdrawing all the money. Yes, well, see what you see, I suppose. Um, the caption for the next panel. Next instant, the fastest man and boy on Earth zip off to confront their futuristic foe. And this is a, an amazing panel. There's a sort of big ramp that leads down from the, the top of the police headquarters building down towards street level and Flash and Kid Flash are running down it. I'm putting that one on the socials. That's going on Instagram. There's going to be a tweet with this panel. It's amazing. And as I'm running down this big ramp, the Flash is saying, Remember our plan. It took us three minutes to travel into the year 3780 from 1966, timing our speed to match that of the electronic frequency. Kid Flash says, I've got it down pat. Now let's put the skids under friend matter. Then in the next panel, shows Franz Matter with his device with the button on it in the foreground, and Flash and Kid Flash running in from the background. Fran Matter says, Flash and Kid Flash, stop where you are. Make a move to interfere with me and my gang, and I'll blow up your central city. The Flash says, We're still going to capture you, despite your threats. The next panel shows the Flash rushing towards Fran Matter. Fran Matter says, If you're relying on moving so fast I can't see you, forget it. My eyes have been specially treated to enable them to see super speed, just as your eyes can. Stop at once, or Central City goes sky high. And the Flash says, I'll stop when you're my prisoner. Fool, here goes. The deaths of everyone in Central City is on your head. And with a giant click, Fran Matter presses the button. Flash's hand zooming into the panel trying to stop him. We move to the top of page nine. The caption says, The next instant, the criminal of 3780 is swung off his feet. But he has lifted Fran Matter off his feet. Fran Matter says, The die is cast. Buddy Flash says, And so's your future. The caption for the next panel. Up and down, back and forth, he is swept from side to side like a living baton in the hands of a master twirler. Yeah, and this panel basically just shows the Flash flinging Fran Matter about, basically, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, there's nothing else for it. The next panel, 
features Kid Flash in the foreground and he's looking around behind him and he can see that Fran Matter's bad guy pals are flying on their floating platform. Kid Flash says, Hurry it up, Flash! You've spent a precious half a minute toying with that guy. Here comes his gang! Leaping off their flying platforms, the future criminals trigger weapons neither of the super speedsters is familiar with. And this panel shows almost the point of view of one of the bad guys. He's firing his bubble bath gun. And we see Wally being surrounded in a little cloud of pink bubbles. And Wally is thinking, I'll hold them back. What's that? They're shooting at me. The caption for the next panel. As a spray of frothy matter hits Kit Flash. (laughs) Fran Matter's mate is still firing his gun. And Wally is thinking, I'm being lifted into the air. My speed's no good to me here. Or is it? The teenager spins and, like a dog shedding water, he rids himself of that peculiar froth, whipping down at his opponents. And this is a great Carmen Infantino panel of Kid Flash using his super speed. Wally is spinning like a top up out of the froth, which is falling back down towards Fran Matter's mates. And Wally is thinking, if they go high enough, they'll be out of range to use their weapons. Now Flash hurtles into the futuristic rumble. And in this panel, as Barry runs in, Kid Flash is almost running in the spot in midair. And the bubble spray that Fran Matter's pals had fired out, one of them is caught up in that and he's also floating up into the air. But the other two, it now seems, they're holding sort of giant triangles. That's the only one I've got for it. The caption for the next panel says, From the triangles leap beams of brilliance that consume everything before them. Wally is still running in a spot in midair and, as the caption says, like a beam of golden energy is coming from one of the triangles and the flash dodges out of the way and Wally is saying, Cool it, Flash. If that beam touches you, you'll really be an ex-Flash. Spinning like a top, the monarch of motion drops out of sight. Not only is the Flash dropped out of sight, he's tunnelled down into the ground, spinning at speed as Fran Matter's accomplice fires the, the triangle Regon beam at him. Kid Flash is still up in the sky and he's saying, We have less than two minutes to get back to Central City and stop that bomb. Tunnelling a path under the ground, Flash zooms upwards directly beneath the criminals. And that caption basically tells us what we have in this panel. The Flash tunnels up from the ground, busts up from the ground, grabs the two bad guys with ankles, lifts them up into the air. And one of the bad guys says, Hey, we're being sneak attacked. We move to the top of page 11, and the caption for the first panel says, Rising upwards, rotating at ever-increasing speed, comes the fastest man on Earth, radiating outward from his arms like spokes from the hub of a wheel. And this is a terrific panel. It looks as though Barry is moving his, his feet and his ankles in a sort of cycling sort of motion to kind of keep him up in the air and he still has the bad guys by the ankles and he's whirling them around. Kid Flash is now on the ground and he shouts up to Barry, hurry it up Flash, we have less than a minute to stop the time bomb. And Flash replies, relax, relax, we'll make it in time. The caption for the next panel, he lets go his living propeller blades. And the Flash lets go of the two two bad guys who go zooming off in opposite directions. And the Flash says, I just wanted to make crime as unpopular here as I could. He's still up in the air, Wally down on the ground says, Great ambition! Now can we go back to Central City? Man and youth hit high gear almost as soon as they think about it. Flash and Kid Flash start to run in the foreground of the panel. We see Fran Matter's mate who was sent up into the air by the sort of bubble mixture crashing to the ground. And Kid Flash observes... There lands the one I sent into the air. That takes care of the entire gang. Flash says, Yes, the police will handle everything now. Then the caption for the next panel says, Backward into time, speeding faster, ever faster, through the centuries. They slow down the vibrations that enable them to slice between the chronal barriers. There's another panel showing them speeding through time. We see the year 1999. We see the year 30. We see the year 29,000. We see the year 23,000. And as they run, the Flash is saying, Remember, 
vibrate along the same electronic trail of the impulse Fran Matter sent back to trigger off the bomb. And Kid Flash says, I am, and it's bringing us directly toward the bomb, just as a plane follows a beam to a landing field. They arrive back in 1966, just at the moment of explosion. As Kid Flash and Flash are rushing in from either side of the panel, there's a massive BAM as the explosion starts to take place. Kid Flash says, there she blows. Flash says, you know what to do. Over the page now to the top of page 12. Around and around that awesome detonation run Flash and Kid Flash. The lines of force set up by their super swift circuiting form a vast tunnel through which the heat and shock waves rise upwards. Flash and Kid Flash are running almost in sort of counter to each other, rushing round this big flume of flames and smoke. The Flash is saying, The explosion will expand itself in the upper atmosphere, causing no harm whatsoever. And Kid Flash says, Alone, neither of us could have done this, but by working together, we saved Central City. Next day, banner headlines scream their story. In the background of this panel, we see a, a huge big banner sign that says, Thanks, Flash, you're our hero that's been draped between two skyscrapers. And in the foreground, a very pleased-looking Wally is holding up a newspaper headline that says, Our Flash saves our city. And Kid Flash is saying, No headlines, huh? No appreciation, huh? And then the caption for the closing panel says, And to make matters absolutely certain... Flash is given the key to Central City. And it's a nice little sort of gathering of obviously Central City dignitaries and important people. A few men in suits, lady in a nice dress. And Kid Flash and the Flash are there. Must be the mayor of Central City, I take it, who's presenting Flash with the key. And Kid Flash standing behind Barry whispers, Sour looks? Laughing behind your back? Just be glad I don't tell Iris what you said. And the Flash replies, Kid Flash, you wouldn't dare. The The end. end. However, there is a closing caption with one of the trademark Carmen Infantino hands pointing, and the caption says, Flash announcements. Don't miss the next issue for a comic book first. It will feature an entirely different story based on the very same cover portrayed on this issue. Yes, we're going to do the story from the next issue. Well, it's not actually the next issue because issue 160 of The Flash was an 80-page giant full of reprints, as well as reprinting a couple of Barry Allen and Wally West stories. It also reprinted a couple of stories featuring the Golden Age speedsters, the Jay Garrick Flash and Johnny Quick. So just to tell you very quickly, um, issue 160 was published on the 10th of February 1966, with a cover date of April 66, and the Johnny Quick story in it. I was very impressed in our preparation. Peter was able to name this off the top of his head. <laughs> which really impressed me. The Adventure of the Antelope Boy, starring Johnny Quick, which was originally printed in Adventure Comics, issue 123, published in October 1947. Who could forget the Antelope Boy? Yes, and well, I've, I've forgotten them already. One shred, never forgotten. <laughs> um, and the Jay Garrick Flash story, it was called Duet of Danger, and that was published in issue 32 of All Flash, comics and that came out in October 1947 as well. It featured the character of the Fiddler who we've met on the podcast before and it was written by Robert Kaniger. Yes. Hopefully by now you'll be familiar with Robert Kaniger if you've listened to our recent Wonder Woman episodes. <laughs> I think we've had about as much Robert Kaniger as we can take right now haven't we Peter? I think we can do some more. <laughs> Let's have some more Kaniger. Yes <laughs> yes please. So um, issue 159 finished with the caption saying the next issue is actually issue 161 which has the, the other story based on the cover of issue 159. So we've decided to do that as well. But quickly, shall we talk about the story from, from 159? 
Yeah, let's do that. How did you find it? It was fine. It was fun. I liked the time travel aspects. I liked the thinly sketched in future that still has um still has banks and buildings. And obviously, I was thinking that as well. Yeah, hard physical currency is obviously a thing again in the fortieth century. <laughs> They've obviously moved away from the Bitcoin failure. It was really nice to have Doctor Midnight as a little cameo because yeah, I've had all those episodes recently were Starman and Black Canary and Our Man and Doctor Fate and all that. It's got little mm-hmm. showcase team ups and obviously the Spectre was revived in showcase. But Doctor Midnight's one of the guys. I suppose like the Atom and Sandman doesn't yeah. really get that that sort of chance but it was it was nice to see him yeah and it was also quite good to see him do some doctoring as opposed to just throwing blackout bombs absolutely he actually does advance the plot by using his medical training and medical skills yeah admittedly it's hypnotherapy or hypnosis Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah it's uh, it worked so yeah fantastic I, i love the idea of wally just thinking i'm concerned about there might be something medically wrong with flash here what will i do i'll take him to earth too (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because he can't do anything else, so that's it. Yeah, I love the fact that there's obviously no one on Earth 1 that he can trust that he feels that he can, he can approach or go to. <laughs> um, that was tremendous. That brings up an interesting point as well, because this is the first time Wally's been to Earth 2. Aye. How does he know the vibrational rate to travel at? Yeah. He wasn't at the theatre. That's the true. Usually, the Civic Hall or theatre that mm-hmm. they usually vibrate from. Mm-hmm. It just seems to randomly just start vibrating and end up in Earth too. Yeah, especially obviously because Barry's not really in it in the zone at that point. He's you know wanting no. to quit and he's not there, so we can only presume that at some point off camera, as it were, Barry told Wally how to get to Earth too if he needed to, or maybe there's a an unseen adventure that we haven't been privy to at this point. So that means that Barry can vibrate between Earth one and Earth two. We've seen Jay vibrate between yep. Earth one and Earth two, and now Wally can do it. Yep. So that's that's interesting to bear in mind for future. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it is definitely. Should we look at the reader response to issue one hundred and fifty? Let's do that. Awesome. That is in Flashgrams from issue 163. So the first letter goes something like this. Dear editor, what makes a cover worthy of being given my personal award for the best Flash cover of 1966? I now know. The cover of Flash 159 was beyond any trace of a doubt the best Flash cover I have ever seen. Well, the idea depicted Barry Allen leaving his Flash uniform hanging on a tree was beautifully supplemented by the scene. The artistic balance of this cover was masterfully done, with the bright red of the uniform balanced by the fading glow of the setting sun, with the note in the middle at the focus of attention. The best point about the cover was the way Barry was shown as a background figure, shadowed by a setting sun, apparently symbolising the sunset of Flash's career. And the blurb, I don't like cover narratives to rave on and on about a story. I would be satisfied if only the title of the story were mentioned. But I can have no complaints about this one, even though it did say... No one even dreamed it would happen, etc. It was placed perfectly, where you would notice it only after the magnificent art drew your attention to it. I've read about the cover long enough, but as I come to the stories inside, I find they don't quite follow the cover's lead. The Flash's final fling was good. It was kept from being great because it dealt with a menace from another time, which is being featured so often it's getting sickening. But it was saved from mediocrity by the appearance of Kid Flash and the glimpse of Earth 2, and especially the appearance of Dr. Midnight. You should have let him go along with the two Flashes. How I'd love to see him in action again. There's a closing paragraph where he expresses his opinion on the second story from Flash 159. So we're not going to read that part of the letter. And that letter is from Mitch Theopola from Wadsworth, Ohio. So the editorial response to this one is... Well, the introduction of Dr. Midnight in the Flash's final fling proved a pleasant surprise for most readers. His unexpected fade-out from the yarn proved more disappointing, as the next reader explosively points out. However, we've made quick amends. Dr. Midnight plays a hefty role in the annual Justice League Justice Society epic, appearing in the August and September issues of Justice League of America. Oh, good. I like that. A little throw forward. Right, so the next letter then says... Dear Editor, what a bomb issue 159 turned out to be. 
And the ironic part about it is it could have turned out to be a masterpiece. Uh oh. Why oh why didn't you make The Flash's final fling a full length novel with Doctor Midnight in a starring role? The last character I expected to encounter when I picked up this issue was this famed member of the Justice Society of America. You can't imagine the high hopes I conjured when my eyes fell on the surprise guest. It was as if I'd suddenly been informed that I had won the sweepstakes, only <laughs> to be told a few minutes later it was meant for another person with my namesake. Imagine then the tremendous letdown I felt when you shelved the Man of Midnight on page 7 after one paltry panel of his costume. Wow. That's from Joseph J. Arrow from New York, New York. We've had right. this letter from Joe before, I'm sure. Okay, so that's that's obviously someone not too happy at Dr. Midnight not being featured a little more. So the next letter goes, Dear Editor, in this day and age where the competition in the comics industry is enormous and the quality of the many comics is constantly decreasing. Wow, such cynicism. It is good to be able to count on the Flash coming through with excellence. Issue 159 was a comic, as a comic should be. The Flash's final fling was an excellent story. It had an extremely good plot, as most stories with Kid Flash do, and the appearance of Dr. McNider was a delightful surprise. Sometime in the future, it would be enjoyable to see Dr. Midnight guest star in a Flash issue. Once again, Carmen Infantino proved himself the ultimate in comic mag artists, as his art in both stories was superb. Um, obviously, we didn't talk about the second story, but that letter is from Alan Rifkin from Brooklyn in New York. So, that was someone really not liking the story very much, and then someone else liking it very much indeed. Mm -hmm. And the next letter then says, Dear Editor, in The Flash 159, you neatly executed a performance referred to as a boner. Uh-oh. In the first story, page 7, panel 2, Barry Allen dons his scarlet garb to become The Flash. However, on page 4, panel 4, he leaves it hanging on a tree limb. In other words, Barry, while on Earth 2, dresses in a uniform located on Earth 1. How about that? And that's from Alan Fowler Jr. from Ventura, California. Terrific. And the editorial response to that one then is, You're not leaving us hanging out on a limb, pal. We've indicated from time to time that Barry has a number of emergency flash uniforms. Obviously, the one he hung up was a spare. The other uniform was packed inside his ring all the time. Editor, no, I don't believe that for are. a second. <laughs> that was a total cop-out. <laughs> That was fun. People weren't happy at Dr. Midnight not having too much to do, were they? No, true, true. Um, but it was good to see him, though. And it's obvious that the editorial team do listen, because Dr. Midnight will be back in the issue of The Flash. You know, it's a little way off in the future, but we'll get there before too long. And it's quite appropriate as well, that story was written by Gardner Fox, who has been doing all these uh, Golden Age revivals, doing the mm. Brave and Bold team-ups of Starman and Black Canary and the showcase of Dr. Fate and Hourman. And, yeah. of course, the Spectre, who we've covered as well. And as promised by that text box... There is a second story. Now, again, mm. there's no Earth 2 featuring in this, but just for the sake of being completed, we thought we'd cover this one as well. It was such an interesting idea that they did two stories based on the same cover jumping off point. So we thought, why not? We're all friends here. We'll do the story from, from Flash 161 and see what we think of that and see how it compares and any theories that we might postulate afterwards. So issue 161 was published on the 3rd of March 1966 with a cover date of May 1966. Pete, do you want to tell us about the cover to issue 161, even though we're not going to be talking about the story? Why not? The cover features the Flash running in to tackle my favourite rogue, Mirror Master, who is blasting a, a mirror gun at him. And in the background, there is a mirror showing the Flash being successfully shot by the mirror gun and pretty much collapsing. Basically, the Mirror Master has developed a future mirror that enables him to see shortly into the future and he's evade the Flash, and he thinks he's successfully killing him in this very panel. And in the bottom corner, we have a reproduction of the cover of Flash 159. Yes, and a big caption that says, Extra, 
a comic mag first, an entirely different story based on last issue's sensational cover. I wonder if this was almost prepped for issue 160 and then, because obviously 160 was the last issue, I'm being pedantic. It was the last all-new issue. We'll go straight into it then. The opening splash panel, in fact, for the story from 161, has a nice little recreation of the cover of 159, with the costume hanging on a branch and a sign saying, I'm through knocking myself out with the flash, I quit, goodbye and good riddance, and Barry walking off into the sunset and a little sign saying, you're now leaving Central City. So... Um, with Flash logo and a little carmine box saying presents a sensational comic mag first and the first caption says The provocative scene depicted below was the basis for last issue's memorable The Flashy's Final Fling Written by Gardner Fox, it was based on an original cover idea dreamed up by the editor But how would another writer treat the same idea, we wondered To satisfy our curiosity, we commissioned Robert Kaniger Robert Kaniger, boo! Originator of The Flash in its showcase tryout to write his own version, which turned out to be entirely different than Foxy's story, as you'll see for yourself when you read The, the Case, Case of the, of the Curious, Curious costume. costume. We're back in Canada territory, folks. Strap yourself in. Yeah, very, very different from the Gardner Fox story. We open on page two, and the first caption says, Just as the gun of a soldier leaps from its holster to save his life and drive back the enemy... And this panel shows going to be pulled out, obviously by a US soldier who's ducked behind a tree, and it's being fired on a couple of advancing enemies. Full moon behind them, he's firing on them with a pow-pow. Then the caption for the next panel continues. Forming a relationship as strong as life and death. This panel shows the same gun from the first panel. There's a little bit of smoke coming from the barrel. We see the hands of the guy who's fired it, and the voice of the soldier operating it says, Thanks, pal. You always come through when all the marbles are down. I'd rather give up my right arm than you. Then the caption for the next panel says, And, just as men who have stared into the blazing eye of death will swear that they can almost hear their guns answer. And a voice seems to be coming from the gun, and it says, I'll never leave you, Sarge. I'm yours for keeps. Nothing will ever separate us. So right, if we ever do the losers, you're playing gunner, and that's the voice that you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Then the caption for the next panel continues this little gun-based narrative. Just so, the unique uniform of the Flash hurtles from the ring and Barry Allen's finger. And with a zing, we see Barry's costume flying out of the ring as he opens it. The caption continues. Instantly expanding to the action of the atmosphere, time and time again accompanying the Scarlet Speedster in his unending battle against the tireless forces of evil. And this is a fine panel which shows the Flash. We don't really see the Flash too clearly, actually. He's vibrating and dismantling an armoured truck that some bad guys have obviously been using. And one of the bad guys says, What? What happened? I thought we'd pulverise the Flash in the safety of this rolling pillbox. And another hood says... He, he vibrated right through to us. And we see the thugs all falling to the ground with the, the money they've always been trying to steal, kind of scattered around them. They're dropping their guns as well. Right, well done, The Flash. This is already very different from other Flash stories that we've done. So we move to the top of page three, and a caption says... No matter what doom threatens to smother the fastest man alive... And this is very dark, because it's obvious that some bad guys have managed to subdue the Flash. They've basically built a wall, either in front of him or around him or something. They're sort of We see a guy smoothing out some cement. Oh my goodness, Barry's been buried alive. And the hood is saying... There's not enough air in there to keep a mouse alive, let alone the Flash. However, the caption for the next panel says... But like a human tornado... And with a crack and a rumble, we see the Flash spinning like a top and bursting through the wall. And all the bad guys being knocked down by the bricks that go flying. Tremendous. Then the caption for the next panel... Yes, the Flash and his scarlet uniform form an attachment as strong as life and death. And this panel shows Barry Allen holding his Flash uniform. And he's saying... Thanks, pal. 
The two of us make a great crime-fighting team. And who is to deny that Justice Guns almost speak to the men with whom they face death time and time again? Barry Allen may imagine. And we see a voice coming from the Flash uniform, and it says, I'll never leave you, Barry. I'm your second skin. I only come to life when you put me on. We've been through too much for us ever to be separated. I'll never leave you. Never, never, never. Peter choosing to play the Flash's uniform as a <laughs> as an obsessive ex-girlfriend there. <laughs> <laughs> Already this is very different from what we're used to in the Flash, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. So we now move to the top of page four. But even a crime fighter has a private life, and the great day finally arrives for lovely Iris West, Barry Allen's fiance. And this panel shows Iris in a wedding dress. Nice bunch of roses. Professor Ira West standing behind her. And Kid Flash Wally West. Not as Kid Flash right now, but just as Wally. He's there as well. And the judge, who's obviously going to be carrying out the marriage ceremony, is saying, What makes you think Slowpoke Barry will be on time for his own wedding, Iris? And Iris replies, I'm no fool, judge. I've learned by experience. I told him it'd be an hour earlier than it really is. Look, even my father is here. And Professor West says, I'm considered the original absent-minded professor, so if I didn't forget, Barry certainly won't. And Wally's thinking, Nobody knows one Flash is already here. Kid Flash, that's me, Wally West. That's very helpful of you, Wally, thanks, mate. Anyway, the caption for the next <laughs> panel says, Iris doesn't know it, but earlier that very day... And we see Barry in his apartment, looking at a nice framed photograph of his intended, and he's tying his ties. He's getting ready to get married. How exciting. And as he's doing so, he thinks, My bachelor's dream sure kicked up a storm last time I was late. Iris swore that if I were again, this would be the very E-N-D. So, just to make sure that I'm going to be on time for the wedding, I'm going to start out a whole hour earlier. As the blithe bridegroom steps out. And we see Barry strolling on the pavement. Gorgeous sunny day. This is lovely. And he's thinking, The judge's chambers are only ten minutes from here. It's so beautiful. I'll walk. I have more than fifty minutes. And a little caption says, You actually have two hours, Barry. You can't possibly miss. And then the caption for the next panel says, But a few moments later, Barry is flabbergasted at an impossible spectacle. And this panel shows Barry kind of looking to his left at the traffic. We can see a truck and a couple of cars. But overtaking them all is a turtle speeding along. And Barry thinks, A turtle? A creature that should be slow as mud, whipping by speeding cars as if they were stuck like raisins in molasses. Naturally, the world's fastest man's curiosity, aroused by anything unusual which concerns speed, compels him to... And we see Barry in his immaculate morning suit, nipping into a handy open basement door. It's worth pointing out we can see the, the cityscape in the background behind him. Very effective. As he runs down this little flight of stairs, he's thinking, A jet-propelled turtle! A perfect addition to the Flash Museum! I'll streak after it, as the Flash. Top of page five, first caption says, In the privacy of a basement, Barry releases the uniform in his ring. And we see Barry operating his ring, his uniform flying out, and he's thinking, I've plenty of time to get to the wedding. Within the fraction of a second, the Flash zooms out. And with a vroosh, Barry comes up the stairs, out of the open basement doors, speeding away, thinking, It'll only take me a moment to catch that turtle and bring it to the Flash Museum. Another moment to get to the judge's chambers. Won't Iris flip when she gets there and finds me making believe I've fallen asleep waiting for her? But the scarlet speedster who can race around the world in the blink of an eye discovers to his bewilderment that... 
the turtle is still speeding ahead from him, basically. We see a couple more cars. Barry's obviously running along at the side of the road, trying to catch up with the animal, and he's thinking, how fast do I have to go before I can overtake that turtle? A turtle that makes jets look like sticks in the mud. I've got to catch it now, just to prove I haven't flipped my marbles. Then, in the next panel, everything in the background goes black. There's a giant crack sound effect, and a huge vroom sound effect, and the Flash thinks, yow! I feel as if I've just broken out of an egg. Now, this is a bit of a leap as we turn the page to page six. I get the I get the sense there's a bit of a scene missing here, Peter. What do you think? No, it's just Kanegar. Pure <laughs> Robert Kanegar. Reading this in preparation, I thought this was shocking. I thought this was lazy writing. Absolutely awful because we've gone from the flash running along the side of the road with a black panel and a big vroom and a crack sound effect to the top of page six and a caption that says The Flash finds that his super speed has landed him in a fast and furious dimension. And Barry is now standing next to a bald gentleman in a yellow outfit, yellow tight leggings and a top with a big V-neck. In the background we can see a building, very futuristic building being constructed. And the bald man is saying, My turtle is the slowest thing in this world. He has an inferiority complex here. He gets rid of it whenever he visits Earth and races everything there. What are you gaping at, Earthling? That's skyscraper under construction. And we see the next panel, the building being assembled. It looks like sort of giant mechanical limbs almost putting everything in position. And Flash observes, Look, look at it go up. Finished in less than a minute. And then a nice close-up, very moody close-up, the bald gentleman, who owns the turtle, says, Slow, aren't they? They'll probably have to pay a penalty for the delay. And then a closing caption for part one says, End of part one. The pace becomes unbearable in part two, continuing on fourth page following. We have a DC Currents. We have an advert for Superboy 8-page giant. We're at the start of part two. Now, before we go on, I really, I have to say, I think that is shoddy as heck. It really feels like there's a page missing between Barry coming out and meeting that guy, <laughs> and the guy telling him where he is, and what's going on, and that one caption covering it. The Flash finds that super speed is landing in a fast... I mean, that is terrible. It's just Kanegar's compressed storytelling. That's the excuse you're making for it, but I don't I don't think that's good enough. I think that's some of the worst storytelling we've had in any of the comics that we've done so far. That's shocking. <laughs> it really feels like it's been cut down to fit, or they've said to him, right, Robert, you can't have the full 23 pages to tell the story. You're only getting 15, and that was just awful. Maybe we'll get a bit more context as we go on. I doubt it. Anyway, caption at the top of part two says... Part 2, Cataclysmic Conclusion of The Case of the Curious Costume. And the first caption for the first panel of part 2 says, Taking a moment off on his way to his wedding to chase a supersonic turtle, the Flash hurtles into another dimension where... And we see the Flash and the bald man in yellow, some more machinery pulling some more large structures into place in the background, and the Flash is saying, I've only spent about a minute here, but a second skyscraper is shot up next to the first. Two skyscrapers built in a minute. Wow, how long is 60 seconds here measured in ordinary Earth time? And the other guy replies, I'll have to figure it out with paper and pencil. Electronic computers are too slow for us. Got a pencil on you? Again, the background suddenly shifts to black. There's a vroom sound effect and a crack sound effect again. And a caption that says, Reversing the vibrations to the exact frequency which sped him to this sphere of super speed. And Flash is rushing along, saying, Don't panic, buddy boy. You left an hour earlier than you should. You've only spent time enough to tie a shoelace. You've plenty of time to get to the judges' chambers long before Iris arrives. Now again, that feels like a scene missing. To pause as we're going along here. First of all, let's have go back to that caption. The Flash hurtles into another dimension. So that's interesting. That's worth mentioning in our charting of the multiverse, isn't it? Yeah, he's in another super speed dimension. Fast and Furious dimension where everything is speeded up. Fast and Furious dimension. The next movie in the franchise. <laughs> yes. 
starring a revived Gal Gadot <laughs> and Vin Diesel. And a turtle. And The Rock, and Jason Stratham, and a turtle, and a CGI Paul Walker. That may be in bad taste. No, and then again, it feels like another scene missing from Barry conversing with the ball guy to the Flash zooming back. Now, I mean, maybe... Maybe I'm just used to Flash stories. Maybe Kaniger, as you suggest, is being compressed and economic and maybe crediting the reader with a bit more intelligence that they can work out what what's going on. I find it very jarring because it's not what we're sort of used to in Flash stories. Well. I must say, <laughs> Peter obviously disagrees. I don't necessarily disagree, but it's just, you know, it's, <laughs> it's fun. And he's thrown more mad concepts in the first seven pages than you usually get, even a John Brim story. Yeah, I mean, I might be, I might be finding it a bit jarring, but it's you're right. It's interesting. It's different. Mm. We should probably celebrate that. Maybe, maybe I should have another pass at reading the story when I've calmed down. <laughs> <laughs> so, the caption for the next panel says: "Faster than the click of a camera shutter, the modern Mercury makes the return trip." And we see Barry back in his morning suit, arriving at the judge's chamber for the wedding. Barry opens the door. We see Iris and her dad, and Barry says, "Honey." I told you I'd get to the wedding on time. Getting to the wedding on time. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? Beautiful. Ta-da-da. Looks like we both got here at the same time. And Iris says, The same time? Why, you, you snail. You're five hours late. Everybody's gone. You've humiliated me in front of everyone. And Professor Ira West says, In a word, you've torn it, my boy. The next panel, a furious Iris throws her bouquet of roses into Barry's face and she's saying, we're through, finished, fini, kaput. Here's your ring, take this bouquet too, I don't need it. I never want to see you again, never, never. Wow, well, at the top of page eight, and the first caption says, After sleepless hours. And we see Barry hugging his pillow, and he's obviously, he's counting sheep. He's visualising in his mind's eye, sheep jumping over a little fence, and he's thinking, how can I fall asleep counting sheep? They're moving too fast. The caption for the next panel. The dejected bridegroom races to Iris West's apartment. Barry, in his traditional sort of check jacket, has arrived and Iris's dad has opened the door to him. Barry says, Sorry to disturb you in the middle of the night, Professor, but if I could only speak to Iris, explain, I'm sure I can straighten things out. And the Professor says, <sighs> Too late, my boy. <sighs> she left on her honeymoon. <sighs> honeymoon? What honeymoon? We weren't married. Don't you remember? Ah, uh, uh, oh yes. Now I remember. Iris went to her friend Ramona's mountain cabin at Rainbow Lake. No TV, no radio, no newspapers, no men, no you. To forget. Sorry, my boy, but she really is through with you this time. Nothing could make her change her mind. Then a caption for the next panel. Sadly, returning to his lonely bachelor's quarters. And we see a very... Dejected looking Barry sat on his armchair, blinds and curtains open behind him, and he's holding his flash uniform that's sort of trailed out in the floories. And he's thinking, If only I hadn't put on my uniform, none of this would have happened. I'd be in my honeymoon on cloud nine. Now, I feel as if I'd been dumped in a bed of nails. As days go by, filled with nothing but emptiness. And we can see that Barry has gone to the drive-in, but he's on his own. He's obviously watching a romantic movie. We can see the, the couple on the big screen. And, and there's also a couple in the car next to him, having a bit of a kiss and a cuddle. Barry's looking at them and he's thinking, I feel like a ghost at a drive-in. Then the next panel, rather foolishly, um, Barry's gone to a dance and he's sat at a table on his own. We can see a band playing in the background and lots of dancing and canoodling couples and Barry's thinking, I'm getting to be a third wheel in a two-wheel world. And then in the next panel, I'm not really sure who these people are, but Barry's standing in the background of a sort of family of 
husband and wife and a child, and they're sat on a couch, and they're playing with a kid, and Barry in the background is thinking, I've got nothing to look forward to but a lifetime of being called Uncle Barry without Iris. Has Barry just turned up in someone's house there? Yeah. He kind of looks like it. Yeah, maybe he's been invited around to one of his pals for dinner or something. I don't know, but he seems... He seems to be wearing a kind of still wearing the bow tie and jacket that he had in a previous panel. Yeah. So Barry's obviously floating around and feeling very, very dejected at having lost Iris. So we now move to the top of page nine. And so, goaded by unbearable loneliness beyond human endurance, Barry Allen is driven to a shocking act. And this panel shows the flash uniform hanging from the branch on a tree and a big sign saying I'm through, knocking myself out as the Flash, I quit, goodbye and good rinse, blah blah blah, the X-Flash, just like we saw in issue 159. And Barry is standing a little distance away from the tree, looking at the Flash uniform and the sign, and he's saying, If you hadn't been always around to distract me, Iris and I would be in our honeymoon right now. Everybody retires sooner or later, this is it for the Flash in his uniform. Let someone else take over. And the next panel shows Barry walking off into the sunset, and he's still talking and he's saying, I've got my own life to live, and I'm going to start right now by heading for Rainbow Lake and pleading with Iris to forgive me. The Flash is dead. Let them put him in mothballs. So long. And in the next panel, it's a bit of a close-up of Barry, and he's starting to shed a tear as he walks away. And he's thinking, I must have got a speck of dust in my eye. And in the next panel, we get a close-up of the mask of the uniform hanging from the tree. And it almost looks as though there's a tear coming from the eye hole. Gosh. So now at the bottom of page nine, we have a caption that says, Two days later. And Barry has made it to Rainbow Lake. And he's looks like he's sort of peeking round the side of a tree because you can see Iris and another woman in the distance and there's a, there's a house. But more importantly, there's a bear looming over them. And Barry is thinking, I would have gotten here in a flash if I hadn't said goodbye to speed and used a plane and hired a car to get within walking distance of Iris's friend's mountain retreat. Looks like I arrived just in time to put myself in solid with my baby by rescuing her from that bear. I must remember not to move fast or Iris might suspect that I am, was, the Flash. To the top of page 10. And Barry has obviously rushed forward to try and combat the bear. And he's saying, It's a good thing I arrived just in time to... Oh! With a pow! The bear has struck his face. In the next panel, Barry says, He caught me by surprise that time, but... oh." And then with a thud, the bear hits him again. And then in the next panel, Barry says, I'll oar! With a whap, the bear has struck him and knocked him down. Suddenly, in the next panel, another man has come into view, and he's talking to the bear, and he's saying, Shame on you, dicky boy, running away to practice boxing and this poor man. You're retired from the circus, dicky. You're too old to fight anymore. Now go home before Papa spank you. And the bear just kind of replies with, Ugh. And in the foreground of this panel, we see Barry with his, his shirt torn, big tear in his trousers. He's down on the ground, rubbing his head. He's obviously <laughs> soft a little bit. And then in the next panel, bottom of page 10, he's standing up and speaking to Iris and a very attractive lady friend. And Barry is saying, I never would have let that bear harm you or your friend Iris. I... But Iris cuts him off, saying, What are you trying to prove, Barry? That you're a hero? Who do you think you are? The Flash? The Flash? Now there's a man I could go for. A real man. Not a stumbling clown like you who can't even get to his own wedding in time. Over the page to the top of page 11 and the caption says, Ironically, Barry now finds... Barry and Iris in silhouette here on this panel. Very effective. Barry is thinking, I'm my own rival. Iris hadn't stopped talking about the flash since I showed up. And over here, out of touch with civilization, 
she doesn't know the Flash is retired. And Iris is saying, And while you're still trying to brush your teeth, the Flash could shine the face of the moon and be back before you're finished. I think I was always secretly in love with him without realising it. Now that I'm free of you, I'll do something about it. It's leap year. Then the caption for the next panel. Returning to Central City, Barry learns. And this panel shows a hand holding a newspaper. We get a close-up of the headline, which says, Flash Museum jammed with thousands waiting to see the Scarlet Speedster's abandoned uniform discovered by Hitchhiker. And then the caption for the next panel. Driven by curiosity. And there's obviously um, a couple of panels of the crowds who are jamming the Flash Museum, and they're all talking. We see a gentleman with glasses saying, You here to pay your last respects? And the guy he was talking to says, Yeah, I cried like a baby when I heard the Flash quit. And then a woman nearby says, A world without the Flash is like going back to the days of the wheel. And the next panel shows the Flash's uniform mounted to the wall, and who presumably is Dexter, the guard, standing beside him. It certainly looks like him. There's some more people beholding the uniform. There's a, a voice from off-camera pointing, says, There's his uniform. And the lady says, It kind of looks lonely without him. And a little boy that looks a bit, little bit like Wally West, it must be said, he's saying, Like, like, it's alive! Some time passes, the caption for the next panel says, Finally, only Barry is left in the deserted museum. And Barry is standing, sort of with his hands clasped behind his back, looking at his uniform pinned to the wall, looking very much like Peter Parker on the cover of the LP Rock Reflections of a Superhero. <laughs> and Barry is saying, I had to do it. You understand? I didn't have a life of my own anymore. Why shouldn't I try anything to win Iris back? And he's thinking, what am I doing? Talking to a uniform as if it's alive? I better get out of here before they throw a butterfly net around me. Suddenly, the X-Flash is halted in mid-stride when... A voice is coming from the uniform. Barry? Barry Allen? Please don't leave me here all alone. Don't desert me. Barry, you're the Flash. Think of all we've been through together. Put me back on, please. Barry looks back and he's thinking, I, I don't hear it. I don't hear a thing. And then as we move to the top of page 12, the caption says, But the retired super speedster now finds himself imagining... And the uniform glove has grasped the shoulder of Barry's jacket. And we hear the uniform's voice saying, I am as close to you as your own skin, Barry. Don't leave me. We were made to fight together. Don't turn your back on me, please. Barry thinks, It's not true. I'm tossing my marbles. I can hear them bouncing. That uniform can't talk. Barry turns looks back at the uniform, which is still pinned to the wall, and it seems to be saying to him, I, I guess this really is the end, Barry. Okay, you can go. I'm, I'm not going to keep you. I don't want to stand in the way of your happiness. And there seem to be tears coming from the mask, and Barry thinks, tears? Tears from the mask? And then in the next panel, he's given in. He's put on his uniform, and he's saying, Ah, oh, what's the use? I know when I'm beaten. I guess I always knew I'd have to come back for you sooner or later. Anyway, Iris has flipped for the Flash, so I might as well become the Flash and win her back. Just then, coming in for a special assignment of the retirement of the Flash, Iris is just in time to hear. And we see Iris. She can see that the Flash is adjusting the mask of his uniform and a slight recap of what he was saying. Iris has flipped for the Flash, so I might as well become the Flash and win her back. Now, caption for the next panel says... Turning around at the click of high heels, Flash is startled by... Flash is turned, and he sees Iris, and he's thinking, Iris, she saw me put on my uniform. Now she knows my secret, that I am really the Flash. The caption for the next panel. The newspaper reporter now finds herself staring at a front-page story in the making, when... Out of nowhere, three hoods, all bearing guns, have suddenly appeared, and the first one says... The boss said he'd give us a grand for stealing the Flash's uniform so he could use it for target practice. 
But for bringing the Flash himself inside the uniform, he'll up the ante to a hundred thou. And the second thug says, Yeah, uh, with this mouse in front of us for a shield, the Flash won't dare make a move against us. And the last guy laughs. <laughs> now, over the page. Suddenly, the world's fastest human turns himself into a whirling top. And we see Barry spinning round and round. The bad guy's firing their guns with a pow, crack, pow, pow, pow. And one of the voices says, Ah, oh, so you want to play games, Flash? Okay, guys, pour it into him. You don't have to see the wise guy, just fire at those circles. But, as the flying bullets rebound from the indescribable force field of the Flash's vibrations... And we see with a pee and a zing and a pee and a wow... Bullets are bouncing off, and the bad guy says... Duck! He's bouncing the slugs right back at us! The caption for the next panel... An arm that can move faster than thought snatches the prisoner, and... The Flash's arm reaches out from the little vortex he's creating, and he grabs Iris by the hand and he's saying... I won't let anything harm you, Iris... And I really mean it this time. No woman in the world since Eve was kissed by Adam was kissed as fast as Iris West. And indeed, the Flash leans in for a quick kiss before turning his attention back to the bad guys and he's saying, I'll be back in a fraction of a second. The gang suddenly meets a human cyclone. The Flash, still spinning on his own axis like a top, with a thud and a pow and a sock, takes out each of the bad guys in turn, saying, I can't keep the lady waiting. You understand. And then, final page of the story. As the dazed gang is carted away... More laziness by Kaniger. We could have seen those policemen. Anyway. The Flash and Iris, standing closely together, looking into each other's eyes, and the Flash says, Well, Iris, now you know all about me. You know who I really am. You know what I am really... What are you staring at? And Iris says, That uniform, it's... It really did something to you. Do you know? It hypnotized me into thinking that I actually saw you move as fast as the Flash. Oh, Barry, you tried so hard to impress me, even trying to impersonate the Flash. Thank goodness the guards arrived to rescue you from that awful gang before they could harm you. How could I not forgive you, darling? You poor, sweet fool. I love you for it. Now, Iris takes Barry's chin in her gloved hand and they kiss. Later, the man and his uniform are reunited. You see Barry back at home, holding up his uniform, and he's saying, I imagined it all. Imagine a uniform trying to pull me back with empty sleeves, crying from empty eye holes, calling after me from an empty slit in a mask. I might just as well imagine a uniform laughing with joy, because the Flash and it are in action again. And in the closing panel, you see Barry holding the mask of his uniform up against the wall with his left hand, and he's shaking the, the right-handed glove, with his right hand, and he's saying, Good gosh, am I shaking my uniform's hand? Or is it shaking mine? The, the end. end. And I'm going to hurl my comic down and say, Well then. <laughs> <laughs> that was utterly, utterly insane. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what we come to expect from Robert Gallagher. Yes. Do you know, see if I hadn't read those Wonder Woman stories recently, I think I would have been even, <laughs> I would have been even more annoyed. <laughs> and even, even more discombobulated. The whole thing didn't happen, is that it, basically? <laughs> no, it did happen. But, uh, yeah, it's... Hang on, wait a minute, I imagined it all. Imagine, imagine some triple... All right, so he's saying that the uniform... He's rationalising, thinking uh -huh. that he saw the uniform talking to him, right? I thought he was trying to say that he'd imagined the whole story. Right, I, I removed no. my earlier slight level of disgust. <laughs> this story is insane. I mean, going right back to the beginning, opening up a Flash story about the relationship between the Flash and his costume is like a soldier and his gun. Yeah. Because they go on adventures together. is absolutely insane. I mean, I'll read back this caption. Yeah. It's one of my favourites. 
And who is to deny that just as guns almost speak to the men with whom they face death time and time again, Barry Allen may imagine, and of course Barry's uniform talks Yeah, him, I deny that. I deny that, uh, you know, guns <laughs> almost speak to, to the men that they face yeah. death with time and time again. I would worry about anyone who hears a gun talking Aye, to them. exactly. That's someone who should not have a gun. Yeah, I mean, that's that's some kind of psychosis. Was Kanagar a gun nut? Was that why he kept writing the war comics for so long? Did he? I mean, did he see active service himself? Did he have that experience? Was this was writing this story some kind of therapy for Robert Kanagar? May well have been. Who knows? I don't know if he served, but yeah. As I said when we were reading through that, I found some of that very jarring. I I wasn't too keen on the way that he did mm-hmm. he did that um that little interval with Barry going to the the other dimension because it, you know the way it cut from a black panel to Barry being where he is and knowing where he is. I thought that was quite badly done. Yeah, yeah, you're skipping the part of a super speed turtle who happens to of you course. know go on holiday. Yes, go on holiday <laughs> in on Earth One because he yeah. actually feels fast there. Yeah, that's mental as well, isn't it? Yeah. Why does the Flash want to capture him for the Flash Museum? Has this turtle got a Flash symbol on him? Yeah. Is he going to imprison the turtle in the museum? Yeah, how's he going to... Yeah. What's happening there? How are they going to keep it in the museum without it buzzing off? Yeah. It's crazy. Aye. What madness. Absolute madness. I mean, the interesting thing about that, as we said during the reading, was Flash going to this other dimension. Now, do we conjecture that the events of Flash 161 feature a Barry on a different Earth from the Flash in 159, you know? There's a story later on in Flash mm-hmm. that explains the real secret origin of the Flash. Right, yeah, yep. That involves an extra-dimensional imp-type character called Moppy, who basically says he was behind the creation of the Flash. She created the whole accident that caused the Flash to get its powers. But that story is so hated in fandom that there's a theory that's been relegated to a parallel dimension. Right. Because it's such an out-there story that no one really wants to give it any kind of credence. Yeah, such a departure from what's kind of accepted as being the norm, given that we all got used to the speed yeah. force over the years and all that sort of stuff, yeah. Well, this story would fit perfectly in with that dimension. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. I think yeah. this might be on Earth Moppy. Yes, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's such a brilliant, interesting idea of taking the cover for one story and then getting an, another writer to write another story. Uh-huh. Presumably he was told a little bit about the plot of 159 so that he wouldn't duplicate it. So, mm-hmm. you know, was he trying to do something that was completely different? In some ways, actually, I think the story in 161 did a better job of justifying the cover image than the events of the first one. Yeah. It was interesting. If it is the same Barry, it's quite handy he held on to that big scroll they'd written out the first I... time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just keep this. I might need it at some point in the future. And lo and behold... Yeah, it's absolutely identical. The very next non-reprint issue later. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. If anything, this is another way of maybe highlighting still how disposable comics were at this point. I mean, even though we've had a lot of really good continuity, especially with the Flash stories, Mm -hmm. there hasn't been a lot of inter-series continuity as far as tying parallels from World's Finest and with the the parallels of the Justice League, for example. This really still highlights the the sense that first and foremost the comic is here to entertain and give you a good story and a bit of fun yes so you know the the gimmick of taking mm-hmm. the cover and then telling another story with it shouldn't really be taken entirely seriously a real honest heavy scholar would probably struggle to sort of decide which of those stories was in the canon you know if they wanted to you know yeah I think the first one certainly fits yes uh, Earth One better uh-huh. the second one definitely fits Earth Moppy better yes <laughs> so. even just the way that that Kanegar wrote Barry and Iris is was very different from yeah, or what, what we've got used uh-huh. to reading Flash and that, you know, normal sort of Flash stories. I must admit, it's dialogue's really good though. Mm. Uh, it's dialogue kind of sings. It really, it feels very natural for the time. Yeah. As opposed to sometimes 
uh, Gardner Fox is going to be a bit expositional. Yes. Less character-based yes. and more exposition. John Broom's less so. John Broom's very full of character in his scripts. There wasn't as much of the caption doing the storytelling for us in the story in 161. No. As there was in all. <laughs> Apart from, obviously, the massive leap when we, we find out that Barry has found himself in a fast and furious dimension. There was definitely some good ideas that maybe could have done with being extrapolated a little further. You know, I wouldn't have minded if that Mirror Master story had been somewhere else and Kanegar's version of the, the Barry Quits story had been the whole comic because then he might have been able to give a bit more detail about the yeah. about the, the speed dimension. But I suppose the Fast and Furious dimension was really just the, the MacGuffin to distract Barry so that he'd be late for the wedding, really, wasn't it? It probably really didn't need that detail. Yeah, but Kanegar takes a whole page just to show Mopey Barry. <laughs> Not Moppy, but Moppy. Yeah. Where he's like trying to, trying to sleep counting sheep, uh-huh. stalking people in their houses, <laughs> uh, going to dances, going to the staring at people at the drive-in. Yeah. It's insane. Absolutely insane. And then he, when he eventually does track down Iris, she's fighting a bear. What? Yeah. What? Madness. Yeah, and there's no sign of him being disemboweled or even, there's not even any blood. You know, the bear has escaped from a circus and, and that's it. That's all we get. Yeah. <laughs> And the guy happens to be right there. Yeah. And Papa Spank says, the Papa guy, what? Spank. Okay. <laughs> I it's know. a brave man that's going to spank a bear, I'll be I honest. Know. Regardless yeah. of how well it's trained. Um, okay. And of course, Iris walks in on Barry as he's changing. Yes. And mentally justifies it to herself. Is Iris insane? Yeah. That, that it was just Barry uh, not doing super speeds. She just imagined it. What? Yeah, she'll probably be thinking that she imagined that whole confrontation with the three hoodlums that were shooting at him. I think that Iris may have experienced some kind of mental breakdown herself. Yeah. It's quite worrying. And Barry obviously has with his talking costume. Yeah. So everyone's insane in this story, including Canada. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very glad we covered this. Yes. It is insane. I just love talking about the Canada yeah. stuff because it's just so out there. It's definitely different from the very grounded Gardner Fox yeah. stuff that we've done. Even they obviously have their own really good ideas. Mm-hmm. As listeners will know, we've done a fair bit of Robert Canegar Wonder Woman stuff recently. There is another Wonder Woman story by Robert Canegar in the not-too-distant horizon that we'll be coming to. And that one has also has a couple of moments when you're sort of going, but we'll get there in due time. One more thing I want to mention about this story before we move on uh-huh. is that it's really interesting that Kanegar brings up Barry and Iris' wedding. Yes! And actually has it, but it falls through. Yeah. And the only people we see at the wedding here are obviously the judge who's marrying them. Mm-hmm. Iris herself, her father and Wally. Yeah. That's the only people we see yeah. at this version of the wedding. Now, fast forward a couple of issues to issue 165, we've got the actual wedding. Yeah. And again, it's a small affair. We have Barry and Iris, obviously. Mm-hmm. Barry's parents. We have got Professor West there as well. We've got Wally West again. We've got Wally's parents. Interestingly enough, Daphne Dean's there. Oh, right, okay. She's Barry's childhood sweetheart, who grew up and became a famous actress. She's basically Marilyn Monroe sort of thing at the time. So why Barry's inviting his ex to the wedding, I don't really know. Maybe they're on good terms. Yeah. Dexter Miles is there, the curator of the Flash Museum again. What's the relationship to Barry? Mm. There's a relationship to the Flash, but why is Dexter Miles there? And the final two people at the wedding are Al and Rita Desmond. Al Desmond obviously being Dr. Alchemy and Mr. Element. Right. Two other identities that he has as a Flash villain. I've got issue 165, I'm sure. Is that the one when the, the cover has Barry and Iris sort of at the altar and the Flash bursts in? Yes. Does it turn out to be the reverse Flash? Am I right in thinking? It's the reverse Flash that's marrying Iris right. and the Flash is bursting in to stop of course. it. Yeah. But the weird thing is, bearing in mind, as I said, Al Desmond is there mm-hmm. uh, in a previous Flash issue. Uh, Reverse Flash came back in time and kidnapped Al Desmond to work for him. Oh, that's right. The cover references the cover of Flash 1, 2, 3. That's yeah, right. That's it does one. indeed, yes. Because yeah. uh, he actually has got a minor obsession about Al Desmond and his Mr. Element identity. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't he doesn't even acknowledge it in the story. Right. Uh, there's no history. There's no yeah. reference. It's a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah. But yeah, again, small affair. Well done. Keeping the budget down. 
<laughs> is that when is issue 165 is that when they actually properly get married they actually get married that issue yes right I thought so but Barry doesn't reveal his identity until a year later but yeah. she knew from their wedding night because Barry talks in this that's sleep. right possibly by the next time that we, we see Barry as the Flash in the podcast he'll have been married by then so that's a nice thing to think I about I just thought it was such an important milestone we have to touch upon it in the, in the show oh yeah definitely absolutely even though there's no multiverse nonsense I mean Jay Garrett could have come over yeah Jay and Joan could have popped over to, to attend the wedding but they didn't oh well. And I mean, I'm sure that probably in, in the post-crisis timeline, there would have been a couple of the JSA guys there because it was all, all one off by that point. Yeah. But um, oh, spoilers, definitely worth mentioning. So, shall we take a look at the real reaction from the time then? I think that's an excellent idea. So we move on to issue 164. The first lesson in this doesn't really talk about that story, but it is from Irene Vartanoff again. All right, good. Uh, who we talked about recently, again, future comic colourist. That's worth mentioning in passing. Yep. But again, doesn't really talk about that story. But the second letter does, and it goes something like this. Dear Editor, Blah! The case of the curious costume was awful, lousy, and lots of blah! Sure, it was a good idea to take the cover from another issue and make it a completely different story, but Robert Kaniger blew it! The splash page was good, period. Imagine a costume talking, let alone a gun. <laughs> I'll never leave you, never, never, never! It sounds like Edgar Allan Poe! Then we see a jet-propelled turtle. Oh, come on. A skyscraper going up in less than a minute. How slow? Then the alien says, Computers are too slow. Got a pencil? Then our hero says, Don't panic, buddy boy. You've only spent time to tie a shoelace. Poor Barry. Iris doesn't like him. Sob, sob. On page nine, was some mistake. Barry Allen is shown getting a speck of dust in his right eye. But on the uniform, the tears come from the left eye. Then Barry tries to beat up a bear. Then the trainer says, Shame on you, dicky boy. Running away to practice boxing on this poor man. Now go home before Papa spanks you. It was a sad story. Now, here comes the good part. Too much great, excellent, wonderful, fascinating, superb, sensational and stupendous. The mirror with 2020 vision was, well, you know, the art was great too. I like the way the mirror depicted what would happen 20 seconds in the future. So yes, basically, the guy who's written his letter didn't like the first story. He enjoyed the second story and he winds his letter up by saying, Oops, I forgot your cover. The grey went nicely against the green, orange and red. Altogether, the mirror with 2020 vision was great. Altogether, the case of the curious costume was a flop and lots of blah. And that's from Robert Winneberg, Philadelphia, PA. <laughs> that's the best letter ever. There we go. Right. Did you write that one? <laughs> <laughs> you could be forgiven for thinking so, couldn't you? Right. So, um, the next letter then goes like this. Dear editor, your sensational comic mag first was certainly just that. You can sing my praises to R.K. forever. His mastery of emotions so well perfected in his war mags added just the right different touch to Barry Allen. It gave the perfect complement to the more external emotions of the fox broom flash. And, as an extra touch, that little bit of humour about the turtle with the inferiority complex so casually put by that <laughs> alien was a good addition. I just can't say anything more about it. Just excellent. An interesting thing of note was the almost lost in passing fact that Barry and Iris were almost wed in the first story. They got as far as they ever have. Is it going to happen? Obviously it is, but the real question is when? By the way, what does DC have against religion? Whenever there is a marriage, there have been three or four all minor characters except Aquaman, or prospective marriages, of which there have been several, especially in the late 50s in the Superman and Batman mags, the ceremony is nearly always performed by a judge or a justice of the peace. I know religion is a touchy issue, and it's hard to be neutral, but in being neutral, do you have to exclude it altogether? 
Just because I'm a Roman Catholic doesn't mean that I want or demand a priest to do the services. We're changing, remember. Considering that between three-fifths and three-quarters of the population, and therefore probably your readership, are Protestants, it would not be unreasonable to assume that a minister give the vows. But no more judges! Another interesting letter is from, again, future DC writer Mike Friedrich from Castro Valley, California. Tremendous. There we are. And the editorial reply, which seems obviously to be addressed to the, the general readership as well as to Mike, just says, Your invitation to the Iris West Barry Flash Allen religious nuptials appears on the previous page. It'll be the big event of the year. Don't anybody miss it. And as very kindly Peter has already told us, all we really need to know about it. Well then. Flash 159 and Flash 161 with a little bit about Flash 160 in the middle. Done. Exciting. I'm flashed out. I don't know about you. <laughs> I feel like I'm having a bit of a hot flash. <laughs> You're Kanegard out. <laughs> yes. If I met Robert Kanegar in the supermarket in the next 10 minutes, I'd probably have a few things to say to him. I can't lie. But, you know, it's valid. It's worth saying. It was very different. As the, Even as the, the letter there said, it was very yes. different to to what we're used to from Gardner. Yes. And different is always good. It mixes it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And if I feel slightly exasperated while reading it, then that's fine. <laughs> but that's what we thought about the story. And that's what the readers at the time thought about the story. But what do you think about these stories? Please get in touch with us. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on Facebook. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast and we're at the same on Instagram. We'll be putting several panels up from these stories. Yep. Perhaps a speeding turtle. <laughs> I think definitely a speeding turtle. Yeah, perhaps a crying costume. <laughs> perhaps uh, a man having a relationship with his gun. Who knows? Perhaps a bear. Perhaps a bear. <laughs> Who can say? Who can say? <laughs> yes, yeah, so make sure you follow us there. Also, we're on Twitter at podcast underscore Earth 2. We put lots of bonus material up on all our social media. So make sure you follow us as many places as you can. Yep, and please, if possible, if you're able to, rate and review us on the various places wherever you find your podcasts. Always appreciated, yes. Yeah, thank you. So that's us for this week. I've been Peter. And I've been David. And you've been listening to... The The Earth 2 Podcast. Podcast. (laughs) Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. With the closet door open, we see Dr Midnight's uniform hanging on a hook. And Dr McNider says... Hold on, Flash. I'll get into my Dr. Midnight uniform and go with you. And Barry Flash says, Not so fast, old blind man. Me and the kid will take care of this. No. Were you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) Just say the line. (laughs) (laughs) The die is cast.